Well, as we've uh, already been thinking this morning, uh, we are starting Advent. We're starting to look forward to mince pies and Christmas trees and maybe a little bit more uh, than that. Uh, And so I want to begin with really a a few questions. I'm going to start some easy questions. So the first question is, who has already started their Christmas shopping? A quick show of hands or a comment uh, online in the video. Oh, you're the keen ones. The keen ones. Okay. Who has already written all their Christmas cards? Oh, no. <laughs> mm. When did you actually start your preparations? I remember one year reading something that said that Harrods started their Christmas displays in August, believe it or not. I saw mince pies in the shops in October. And I was thinking, "Mm, really? But it's that time of year when we're looking forward to Christmas, aren't we? And what goes through your head when you're looking forward to Christmas? Family times, some people love them, some people not so keen on them perhaps. There are times when arguments uh, rise, there's good, there's bad. Um, I saw something outside a restaurant recently that said, Christmas is back. And I stood there scratching my head thinking, had it actually gone away? Um, And then there's that fear, isn't there, that Christmas might be ruined. There might be another lockdown. Do we fear the lockdown because we can't see our family, our friends, or because we can't party? All sorts of thoughts go through our heads as we're approaching Christmas. But what's it really all about? I want to turn this morning to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is the second most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament, for those who are interested in such things. Um, And for those who are really interested, the first book is Psalms, heads the top of the list, and number three is Deuteronomy, and Isaiah is number two. So you can go and think about what that tells us. Uh, about the thinking of the New Testament uh, writers. Uh, but the phrase, it is written, uh, or it is, it is said that, referring to Isaiah, occurs some 55 times in the New Testament, and there are some other places where it's alluded to. Therefore, I'd suggest it's probably quite an important book for us to get our heads around. But it has a reputation of being somewhat difficult, perhaps because it's long, 66 chapters, perhaps because it's a book of prophecy with pictures and allusions, um, often very detailed, uh, and the detail is historically accurate, and it's good to see the scholars are finally coming back to their senses, and rather than ascribing a late date to it, it's so accurate historically, they say it must have been written after the event, Uh, but they're finally beginning to realize that it might actually have been written when it claims to have been uh, written. It has long sections detailing how God is going to deal with different nations in the Middle East, Israel, and those surrounding. And we, we, we struggle through these thinking, what's the relevance of all this? And it sort of moves in cycles. Things are happening in different time frames, uh, long before Doctor Who ever hit our television screens. Um, there is Isaiah. And, and these things, I think, perhaps put us off. Um, 
But it's a great book because it points to the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus Christ. And we see there a partial fulfillment when Christ came as a baby in Bethlehem, becoming man. And we see a continued fulfillment when Christ returns as he one day will. So let's dive into the book. And I want to anchor, uh, I'm going to hop around a bit, but I want to anchor us today uh, in chapter 11. It's a reading which we sometimes hear at Christmas. There are lots of Christmas readings that are pulled out of Isaiah, often completely out of context. And of course, a text taken out of context, as those who did the Bible Society's Bible course would have learned last year, a text taken out of context just leaves us with a con. Yes, we can get confused and and misled. So let's read together uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 11. And I'll use the church Bible so as not to confuse us. And you will find it if you've got one of the church Bibles. It's on, of course, you've all brought your own Bible this morning. It's on page 697. And if it's in your, if you're using your Bible, I have no idea what page it's on. So we read, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. So here we are at this point in Isaiah, and if we back up a little bit to see how Isaiah got to this point and what he's trying to say here. As we look at the book, we see the first six chapters are a bit like a prologue, uh, and they talk about a bit of background and how Isaiah gets a call from God to come and speak 
to the people. And God is really encouraging to Isaiah. He says, go and take this message to the people and they're not going to listen to you at all. Uh, imagine how you feel as a preacher when you, if you heard something like that. Not great, I guess. But then Isaiah brings this message and he talks about darkness and light in Israel and Judah. There is evil, but there are signs of some goodness. And we get to chapter 9, and we read some very uh, well-known Christmas verses, where Isaiah says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom, no more darkness for those who were in distress. He says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then he goes on to say, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Isaiah is saying, there is darkness, but there is this light coming. And immediately following that, it says it's a moment of decision. Are you going to stay in the darkness, or are you going to move towards the light? And then Isaiah says... There is divine judgment coming on Israel, Judah, and the surrounding nations. God is going to move because he is a God of justice and a God of righteousness. And he sees the wickedness and he knows that something needs to be done about it. But in the midst of that, Isaiah says, there will be a group of believing, faithful people who believe God who obey God. He calls them a remnant. Those who remain. Those who are still faithful to God. And that's the point at which we arrive in chapter 11. And it's a picture of hope. It begins a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. And we read something similar in verse 10. That day the root of Jesse The root of Jesse, the stump of Jesse, the stem of Jesse, bracket these verses uh, that we uh, we have read. And within that, we see something about a king. We learn where this king is coming from. We learn about his rule. We learn about his world. And we learn about his worldwide significance. And it's the root, the stump, the shoot from Jesse, because it's looking back to King David, the golden uh, time in Israel's history. King David, who was described as the man after God's own heart. And he wasn't perfect. He messed up big time. But he came in humility and repentance before God. He turned to God. And Isaiah is saying, a greater king is coming. One like David, but greater, who will fulfill all the promises that were in David. Someone needs to turn their phone off, I think. They're going to, yes, so this king is going to fulfill all the promises that were foreshadowed in David. And we read about this in some of the Psalms, this great king who will rule with true righteousness And true justice. Psalm 72, great example of 
that. So there is, there is this great expectation. And we thought about Advent being a time of expectation, I think someone said. And there is this hope, and we lit a green candle, a candle of, to signify hope uh, this morning. That's where we're at. But it's a stump. I don't know if you've ever looked at the stump of a tree, or maybe you've, you've cut down a tree. I'm, I did actually cut down a tree once in the garden. We cut down the tree, and there's this stump, because the tree was diseased. It had to come down. Uh, and there's this stump left, and it's lifeless. There's nothing there. It's dead. And this was the picture that, that Isaiah was painting of where Israel was going to end up. It was going to be it would seem that all life had been taken from it. The people had been wandering from God. And there was going to be no life. But he's saying, God can still bring forth life from that. And it may be in our lives sometimes, everything seems a bit dull or a bit dead. Our life is a little stump compared with what it was before or what we might want it to be. But God can bring life even from the stump. He can bring life where there is death. And it says that, and from his roots, a branch will bear fruit, it says. It will bear fruit. So this is the story. God's judgment comes. There is destruction. There is a sign of no life. But God is going to bring life. And this was the great expectation of Israel as they went into exile after these events that Isaiah talks about. The coming of Messiah, God's righteous, just king. And we go on to read about the character of this king. And this king we know was was fulfilled. This promise was fulfilled as Jesus came He was the righteous king. Obviously, those who were waiting for him often misread the signs. And we'll think more about that in part two of the story next week. But we read that the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. We read that Christ will come with these six characteristics or qualities. He will come with wisdom. He will see the big picture. He will see things whole. He will see things as they are. He will come with understanding, a sensitivity to the relationships between people and between things. He will come with a spirit of counsel, a willingness to listen and to advise. He will come with power, but a power that's exerted not in the way the world exerts power by uh, force and oppression, but the ability to influence people and to draw them into his love. He comes with a spirit of knowledge, knowing the facts about things, knowing about us, knowing about our deepest longings uh, and our deepest thoughts. And interestingly, it says he comes with the fear of the Lord, which perhaps seems a strange thing to, to, to ascribe to Jesus, the fear of the Lord. But the fear of the Lord captures that idea of centering upon the will of God. God is 
central in all that he does. And of course, Scripture tells us many times that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it's a cycle back to the first of those six qualities. So this is the characteristics of Jesus. And as we come to him, as we look forward to celebrating all that he has done and is doing, we can plug into, we can focus on those six ways in which we can interact with him and his character. But notice that these things are inseparable from the Spirit of God. And as with Jesus, so with us. Our character comes first. It's more important than personality or ability. And our character is formed as we connect with God and allow the Spirit of God to work within us. So this is the king who is coming. This is the king we are looking forward to as we look forward to Christmas. So back to our theme of Advent, and the question is, so what? So what? What does this tell us? What do we learn from this? How do we apply this into our lives? And I want to just leave us with three things that perhaps we can think about. We talked about Advent being a time of expectation. And traditionally in the church, it's also been a time of preparation. We make lots of preparations for Christmas, don't we? We buy presents, we write cards, we buy food, we cook food, we eat food. uh, We make plans for the families to get together. Are we going to make room in our lives to prepare for the coming of Jesus? How do we keep our focus on him with all the other stuff that's going around, all the stuff that assails us from family, from friends, from the adverts on the television, from the distraction of another lockdown? How do we keep our focus on Jesus. I suggest that one way is we could read Isaiah. And I know a number of people in the fellowship are actually reading Isaiah through at the moment. That's really encouraging. We could read the Christmas stories. We could get into God's word regularly and use that as the discipline for preparing. We could spend time with one another, praying as we look forward to Jesus coming. So that's number one point. How are we going to prepare for Christmas? Number two, how are we really going to celebrate Emmanuel, the God who is with us this Christmas? How are we going to make room for him at our tables this Christmas? It might be through praise and worship. It might be in a more practical way by making room at our tables for someone uh, who otherwise might be on their own. How are we going to celebrate Emmanuel, God, with us? Will it merely be singing a few carols or will it go deeper than that this Christmas, this celebration of the God who is with us. And thirdly, what is our expectation? 
if Advent is a time of expectation, what is our expectation of what God is going to do in our lives, in the lives of our families, in the lives of our friends? What is God going to do as we go into work, into college, into university, into school this week and the week after? What is the expectation? The Jewish people had, the people of Israel had this expectation, this Messiah was going to come. We know that Jesus has already come. What is our expectation of what uh, the world will look like? We wrote, we read earlier some amazing verses about what this was going to like. He was going to come with righteousness to bring fairness for the afflicted on the earth. He was going to judge the wicked. And then Isaiah has this picture of the wolf dwelling with the lamb, the leopard lying down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. This picture of peace and harmony in nature. What is God going to do in terms of radical transformation in our lives, in our societies, in our workplaces? What is our expectation? The Jewish people had this expectation of what things would look like when Messiah came. Jesus himself said, when asked whether he was the Messiah, John's disciples came to him and he pointed the fact that the sick were being healed, demons were being cast out, the dead were being raised. Now I've seen sick people healed through prayer, possibly seen demons struggling, uh, going when there's prayer, maybe, maybe not. I haven't yet seen anyone raised from the dead. But what is our expectation of the kingdom of God now that the king is among us and that the king is here? The early church, as we read in the book of Acts when we were looking at that last year, had had an expectation that this was what the kingdom of God would look like. The sick were being healed. Jesus did it. They did it. What is our expectation as we approach this Christmas. The king has come. The king is among us. This is good news, my friends. Let's celebrate. So how are we going to prepare through this season? How are we going to celebrate? What is our expectation? Let's have that conversation together as we go through Advent. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we thank you that uh, you have given us, in your word, uh, such a a detailed uh, account here of what you were planning to do and also what you still intend to do. Lord, we thank you for these uh, amazing promises that even in the midst of what seemed like a a hopeless, uh, impossible situation, when Everything had been taken away when there seemed to be no life uh, in the land. All was darkness, and yet a light arises. There is hope. New life springs from a dead stump. Lord, thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you do these things today. Lord, we pray that you will help us as we approach this Christmas time to keep our eyes firmly fixed 
on Jesus, to prepare our hearts to receive the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you, uh, Lord, that you have already come, that you are Emmanuel, the God who is with us, perhaps not fully realized yet, and we'll think more about that next week. But Lord, you are the God who is with us even now by your spirit. And your kingdom is near. It is at hand. The work of transformation from this age to the next has begun. Lord, help us to grasp that with expectation in our hearts. May this Christmas time be a time of real renewed joy and hope and celebration of the King who is among us, whose presence is near. And so we give you thanks and praise, Lord. Amen. Amen.